0: We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, my fellow Star Wars nerds? How are you doing today? I hope everyone is having a great morning. Have you ever just woke up and knew that you were going to have an awesome day? That's how I felt when I woke up this morning. And I wish that on everyone that is tuning in to this episode. Okay, I'm getting off task. Let's get to the quote of the day. And it comes from us from my pops, Fred McDaniel. He always says, everything works out the way it's supposed to. Worrying about it ain't going to change the outcome. My father is a man that don't worry about anything. He's 81 years old and he's living his best life. That's one thing that I have learned in life. If you want to know something about life, listen to the people that have lived it. Okay, okay, enough with all that. Let's get to some Star Wars. Now, I have been rewatching all the animated series Clone Wars. I don't know about everyone else, but I don't know how the Jedi didn't see that Anakin was going to cause a problem. He never follows the rules. He always disobeys orders. He was just a mess. But what I don't understand is he was surrounded by powerful Jedi Masters and none of them figured this out. Then you got Palpatine. He has to be the luckiest Sith Lord ever. This dude kept having issue after issue, but his plan still seemed to work out. Some say that Yoda was the wisest Jedi to ever live, and he couldn't even tell that Palpatine was the Dark Lord of the Sith. I personally think that the Jedi were overconfident. Now that's my rant. I'm done with that. We need to get to the book because it is getting so good. So let's see what's going to happen. Boss Theodore's orange sun was setting quickly.
1: Scourge, crouched in the shadows of a cramped alley in the warehouse district on the outskirts of Jurunga, the planetary capital, watched it disappear. As darkness fell, the photosensitive street lamps kicked in, casting the entire district in a pale yellow glow. The dim artificial illumination was enough to give Scourge a clear view of the two-story building across the street. From the outside, there was no way to tell that the structure was the Separatists' base. There were no auto guns on the roof, no guards patrolled the perimeter. The loading bay doors were ordinary Durasteel, rather than the reinforced kind used to construct blast doors. The windows were blacked out, and several security cams panned back and forth, surveying the street, but neither was unusual for buildings in this district. Instead of military fortifications that might draw unwarranted attention, the Separatists relied on anonymity and secrecy to protect them. They would be unprepared for the wrath about to rain down upon them. His comlink beeped softly. Followed by Murtaugh's whispered voice. Team is in position. Hold until my signal, Scourge replied. Give me time to take out those cams. Could be droids in there, Setchel chimed in. You sure you don't want Murtaugh's team to go in first and clear the way? Scourge gritted his teeth. Did Setchel know about Scourge's difficulties in taking down the droids at the UDM plant? Were his words a way of saying I know your secrets, I know your weaknesses? On the other hand, if Setchel was just making a joke based on what had happened on their last mission, then Scourge's paranoid overanalysis meant that the slimy little sycophant had gotten to him. Neither option sat well with the Sith Lord, particularly since he still wasn't sure whether Setchel was trying to get him killed. Remember the plan, Scourge snapped. The two of you stayed back until I give the all clear. We can't risk a stray blaster bolt taking out our lord's favorite advisor. Leave the dirty work to me and your team. Understood. Murtog agreed. Keeping Murtog out of the battle wasn't the best tactical choice, but it was worth it to keep Setchel away from the action. Scourge didn't need to be looking over his shoulder while he was fighting the Separatists. Plus, Murtog would be at a safe distance as well just in case he turned out to be a co-conspirator. "'I'll send the signal once I poke out their eyes,' Scourge said, rising to his feet. Careful to stay in the shadows, Scourge crossed the street to the building adjacent to the base and crept around the back. There he located the utility ladder running up the side of the building and climbed to the rooftop, from which he could look down on the roof of the Separatist base. The gap between the buildings was substantial, nearly ten meters.' scourge measured the distance took a dozen steps back then ran to the edge and leapt over the precipice he pulled his knees up and tucked into a forward roll as he landed then sprang to his feet lightsaber drawn and ready there were four cams on the roof mounted on poles at each corner in rapid succession he reached out with the force and snapped them off one by one sending them tumbling from their perches to shatter on the street below target is blind. Move in, he said into his comlink. In the street below, small squads of Murtaugh soldiers were approaching the building. Scourge waited while they launched their first volley of flash and stun grenades, followed by a round of suppressing fire as the soldiers took cover positions near the door. From inside came the sound of blaster carbines as the Separatists returned fire. Moving quickly but calmly, Scourge crossed the rooftop to the hatch built into the center. A few seconds later, it swung open and a pair of Separatists emerged, snipers coming to the roof to take a position on the attackers below. Sturge hacked down the first with his lightsaber, then grabbed the second by the scruff of his collar and yanked him off his feet. The young human looked at him with abject horror, his panic so great that he never even thought to raise his weapon. The Sith Lord fed on the man's sphere, savoring it as the heat of the dark side rushed through him. Effortlessly toting the sniper along, he took three quick steps toward the rooftop's edge, then hurled the man over. The sniper's terrified scream was cut short a second later by his fatal impact with the ground below. Scourge turned and raced back to the open hatch. He could hear frenzied shouts and blaster fire. An instant later, an explosion rocked the entire building, followed by several seconds of silence. Another round of blaster fire and shouting confirmed that Murtaugh's team had breached the entrance. Scourge leapt through the hatch leading into the warehouse's upper floor. There were no interior walls, It consisted of a single massive room. In the far corner, a staircase led down to the lower level. A row of mattresses ran along one wall, but the primary purpose of the space seemed to be storage. Crates and foot lockers were scattered about, along with a haphazard collection of armor, weapons, and other military equipment. A computer terminal had been set up near the mattresses, along with four blank monitors that would once have shown the images from the security cams on the roof. Scourge registered all this without conscious thought. His primary focus was on the 20-odd humans struggling into their combat gear to join the battle downstairs. Unfortunately for them, that was never going to happen. Like a red wind, Scourge swept through their ranks, slashing left and right, queuing off limbs and decapitating bodies. Violent bursts of the Force picked his victims up and tossed them around like ragdolls, breaking bones and shattering skulls the Separatists offered virtually no resistance. They had been caught off guard. They hadn't expected an ambush from the roof not soldiers. They were ordinary men and women who had received only the most basic training when they joined the cause. Scourge's savage and sudden assault and the bloody carnage he left in his wake sent them into a panic. He fed on their primal fears. Some he killed, others he left mortally wounded and writhing on the floor, their lives enduring for 30 or 40 agonizing seconds while their high-pitched cries of pain fueled his bloodlust. Had the Separatists coordinated their efforts into a focused and organized counter-attack, they might have been able to challenge him, but they just scattered hunting for their lives. Scourge drank in their terror and confusion and felt the growing power of the dark side. He channeled that power and refocused it, sending it out in waves that rippled across the room, further inciting the panicked retreat of his enemies. When two women managed to resist the onslaught of fear and fight back, he was on them in an instant, cutting them down with a few quick slashes of his lightsaber. Everyone else was running. Some fled downstairs. Scourge let them go. They wouldn't get past Murtaugh's team. Others tried to hide, cowering behind crates and foot lockers. But Scourge didn't need to see them to hunt them down. He could sense them through the force, trembling and sobbing silently, their minds numb with shock. And he stalked them one by one, breathing hard, not with exertion. Only then, standing alone amid the bodies, did Scourge notice that the sounds of battle from below had ended. Moving quickly, he crossed the room and descended the staircase. The floor below was similar to the one above, except for a row of offices built along the east side of the building. There were no interior walls, the floor was stacked with crates and piled with supplies. Bodies were scattered everywhere. Most were separatists, but Scourge noticed three or four wearing Nyriss's colors. The rest of Murtog's team were methodically searching the dead, looking for survivors to interrogate. Scourge shook his head, knowing it was a waste of time. The greatest fear of any separatist organization was betrayal from within. Only the two or three top people would know anything useful, and they would never have allowed themselves to be taken alive. Confident that the building was secure, he deactivated his lightsaber and clipped it onto his belt any activity the comm link on his wrist.
0: So this chapter starts off with Scourge, Setchel, and Murtog leading an assault on a Separatist base. Scourge orders Murtog and Setchel to stay back and wait till he has cleared the area. He still thinks that they're out to get him, so he can't have them shooting him in the back as he's trying to do his thing. I think Scourge is the most paranoid Sith Lord that I have ever seen. I really think that he thinks that everyone is out to get him. So first he takes out the Separatist cameras and then sends some of Murtaugh's team in and the fight begins. Scourge starts to feed off the fear as he cuts down the Separatists. The more life he takes, the more powerful he feels. After it was all over, Murtaugh's team was searching for survivors to interrogate, but I think Scourge killed everyone. Fear and death seems to be his drug of choice. Let's see what happens next.
1: All clear, Murtaugh. Get Setchel in here. We're already inside. Murtog's voice came back to him. Found the control center and some offices at the back. Scourge had to clench his teeth to keep from screaming with rage. he had given specific orders, and Murtog and Setchel had willfully disobeyed them. He made his way toward the offices with long, purposeful strides. As he approached, his anger gave way to suspicion. There had to be a reason they had defied him. Were they simply undercutting his authority, or was it something more sinister? Were they setting some kind of trap? As he drew near the offices, he saw both Setchel and Murtaugh huddled at a comm terminal. Surprisingly, there were no other members of Murtaugh's team nearby. Scourge approached cautiously, probing with the Force to see if he could detect any immediate threat. Neither turned as he approached. Their attention was focused entirely on the comm. Are there any others? Murtaugh was asking. Nothing I can find, Setchel replied. But I might be able to. I gave you two an order, Scourge barked as he came up behind them. They both turned to face him. murtog's lips were pressed tightly together, and he seemed to have gone pale. But Setchel seemed more amused than scared. After you were gone, I realized a flaw in your plan. he said with an ingratiating smile. If the Separatists had anything incriminating here in the base, they'd probably try to destroy it before we could get our hands on it. I told Murtagh I might be able to salvage something if he could get me inside. But the longer we waited, the less chance we'd have to recover anything useful. Scourge didn't say anything, his eyes fixed on Setchel with a piercing glare. We would have tried to contact you, but you'd already started the mission. We didn't want to distract you. ''Do you take me for a fool?'' Scourge asked softly, his hand casually falling to the hilt of his lightsaber. Setchel's smile faded, and Scourge caught a hint of fear in his eyes. ''I don't normally disobey orders,'' Murtog said, jumping in to try to defuse the situation. ''But in this case, Setchel was right. Once the Separatists knew the battle was lost, they ran a cleaner program on their computers to erase all their data files.'' If we'd waited for your signal, everything would have been lost." Scourge let the hand drop from his weapon. Now was not the time to settle this, but it was one more thing Setchel would answer for once he finally got a chance to speak with him alone. What did you find? A recording of a recent communication, Setchel answered, pressing a button on the terminal. A ghostly blue, three-dimensional image crackled into being hovering a few centimeters above the holocom. The frozen image was slightly under a meter in height, a perfect miniature of the speaker. Darth Cedric's Scourge gasped. Most of the goat was already erased by the cleanup program, Cetrall explained, but I was able to save this. He hit another button, and the recording began to play. It was obviously damaged. The image flickered in and out of focus, and the audio was plagued by bursts of static that cut off much of what was said. Our latest failed attempt, Cedric said, his voice thin and crackling. Nervous is dangerous and must not move. Legance is hidden in. Not the Emperor. This must end. Can you get anything more? Scourge asked. Not here, Setchel answered. Give me enough time and the proper equipment, and I should be able to come up with plenty. Tell your team to load up every terminal and data file they find, Skirt instructed Murtog. Nyriss won't be pleased if we leave something important behind. Setchel didn't say anything, but the grin on his face spoke volumes. Nyrus's personal slave greeted them at the front door as the three arrived back at the palace. My mistress received your message, she said to Scourge. She wishes to speak to you at once. Get started on those data files as soon as Murtaugh's team finishes unloading them, he said to Setchel. Forgive me, my lord, the young Twi'lek said, her voice trembling slightly. Darth, Nyrus wants to speak to all three of you. Scourge glanced from the slave to Setchel and Murtok, wondering if they knew anything more than he did. They only shrugged. Let's go, Scourge said with a brisk nod. The Twi'lek turned and led them down the now familiar corridors to Darth Nyriss's personal chamber. As she always did, the slave knocked once on the door and waited for acknowledgement from within. Enter, Nyriss called. The slave opened the door and slipped to the side to allow Scourge, Murtaugh, and Setchel to crowd into the small room where Nyris sat at her computer terminal, looking as if she hadn't moved since the last time Scourge had seen her there. She flicked off the terminal, spun in her chair, and stood up. Is it true? she asked, not even bothering to greet them. Is Darth Zedricks a traitor to the Empire? We found a recording of a call from him at the Separatist base, Setchel said. They were obviously working with him. Despite the compelling evidence, Scourge wasn't fully convinced. Zedrix was human, which didn't sit well with some of the Sith pureblood families and the nobility of the Empire. Yet whatever petty prejudices he had endured in his life were insignificant compared with all he had achieved. Darth Zedrix was the longest serving member of the Dark Council, having joined a full decade before Nyrus. He had risen to the penultimate position in the Empire. And while Scourge could understand his desire to eliminate Nyrus or other potential rivals, it was hard to imagine that he would be bold enough to challenge the immortal, all-powerful Emperor. Zedrix's betrayal makes no sense, he said, feeling confident enough in his analysis of the situation to voice his opinion. It makes perfect sense if you know the man as I do, Nyrus assured him. Zedrix is old and desperate. He knows his position has become vulnerable. Soon the Emperor will have no further use for him. In his arrogance, he thinks he can usurp the Emperor's position and save himself. That is why he plotted with the Separatists to assassinate me. He knows those of us currently on the Dark Council would oppose him in his bid for power. He seeks to replace us with new members who are weak and inexperienced. He thinks he will be able to manipulate them and seize control of the entire Council, so that they will follow him when he finally moves against the Emperor. Her explanation made sense. He'd seen firsthand how those in power became desperate when they sensed their positions were threatened. It won't be long before Darth Zedrix learns of the attack on Boss Theater, Nyrus continued. They must act quickly. I'm surprised the Emperor instructed you to deal with this, Scourge remarked. I'd have expected him to order the Imperial Guard to arrest Zedrix. The Emperor doesn't know. Nyrus said. Darth Zedrix has allied himself with separatists, Scourge insisted. He's a traitor to the Empire. It is our duty to report him. I don't think that would be the best plan, Setchel cautioned, ignoring Scourge and addressing Nyrus directly. We have little evidence, and your rivalry with Zedrix is well known. If we come forward with these accusations, he will simply deny them. The Emperor is unlikely to act without first gathering more proof. This will give Zedrix a chance to cover up his involvement, or go into hiding. Satchel is right, Nyrus said. The element of surprise is our greatest advantage. Zedrix doesn't know we have exposed his treachery. If we strike now, we can catch him unprepared. It was obvious her mind was made up, and Scourge could follow the logic of her arguments. Yet he still felt uncomfortable not reporting Zedrix to the Emperor. An assault on his stronghold would be difficult, Murtoch warned. We don't have the numbers to overwhelm his defenses, and I don't like hiring mercenaries for a job like this. Too much chance one of them will sell us out to (laughs) Zedrix. Perhaps assassination is the way to go, Setchel suggested. Do to him what he tried to do to you. We would need a particularly skilled and accomplished assassin, Nyra said. She looked at Scourge. Do you think you could get close enough to Zedrix?" Scourge carefully considered all the variables before he replied. His first instinct was to propose an undercover operation, with him seeking a position on Zedrix's personal staff. Over several weeks, he could study the routines of his intended victim and all his servants, patiently waiting for a chance to catch him alone, unarmed and unprepared. But there were no Sith among Zedrix's followers. Many Sith were prejudiced against humans. No doubt the Dark Counselor would never allow Sith too close to him, fearing they might one day turn on him. Scourge might be able to find some other way to infiltrate Zedrix's inner circle, but as Nyriss had pointed out, they needed to act quickly. There wasn't time for a prolonged undercover mission. Inside his stronghold, he is untouchable, he declared finally. There may be a way to lure him out, Setchel said. The Zepratus seem to use coded communications whenever they contact Zedrix. If I can replicate the code, I can send a message requesting an urgent meeting at some remote location. An ambush might work, Murtlaug agreed. Zedrix won't want to draw attention to his treachery. At most, he'll have two or three of his most trusted followers with him. With enough troops, we should be able to take him down. No, Nyra said, shaking her wizened head. Zedrix would sense it coming. Whoever we send will have to hide his presence through the Force until Zedrix walks into the trap. It was obvious whom she was referring to, but Scourge was still reluctant. Asking me to kill a member of the Dark Council is not as simple as you make it sound. I did not expect you to balk at this task, Nyrus said. He has committed treason. He brought this on himself. You misunderstand, Scourge said, choosing his words carefully. The human traitor deserves to die, but he is a Dark Lord of the Sith. Alone, what chance will I have against him? I should have known, Setchel said, grinning. You're afraid. Fighting a battle I can't win isn't brave, Scourge shot back. It's stupid. At least you have the courage to speak your mind. Nyriss said. You already have enough sycophants, Scourge replied, glaring at Setchel. Nyriss flashed one of her ghastly grins, sending a chill down Scourge's spine. Somehow he kept himself from shuddering. I think the two of us should continue this conversation privately, she said. Setchel and Murtog bowed and left without a word. Scourge was pleased to see they were chastened by their sudden exclusion, Nyriss didn't speak until the twilich servant had closed the door behind them. You are right to be cautious, she said. But you underestimate your own abilities. Scourge's thoughts jumped back to the slaughter at the Separatist Warehouse. He remembered the energy and exhilaration he'd felt. He could sense his power was growing. His connection to the Dark Side had never been stronger. But butchering poorly prepared soldiers was not the same as facing highly trained Sith. Cedric won't come alone. He'll have me outnumbered. Cedric surrounds himself with acolytes of the Dark Side. Your talent will let you feed on their power and turn it against them. The greater your opponent's connection to the Force, the stronger you become. Strong enough to kill a member of the Dark Council? Against me, you would stand no chance," Nyrus replied. "But Sidrix is old and infirm, and he is human. They are a lesser species. Over the decades, the dark side has exacted too great a toll on his body. He is a hollow shell of what he once was. He holds on to his current position only because of his cunning." His followers obey him without question. Too frightened of his reputation to see how age has ravaged his flesh and left him weak. nyrus paused, waiting for Scourge's response. He wasn't eager to offer one without carefully considering everything he had learned. He believed what nyrus had told him about his own abilities. He'd felt the truth of it in his most recent battles. But he wasn't ready to trust her. If Zedrix really was as weak as she claimed, she wouldn't need Scourge's help to eliminate him. The truth was, Scourge wanted to kill Zedrix. It wasn't just his loyalty to the Emperor, though he firmly believed the only fit punishment for treason was death. He wanted to test himself against a member of the Dark Council. He wanted to prove to himself and to Nyriss that he was worthy of this task. If Darth Zedrix fell to his hand, His name would be hailed and feared throughout the Empire. Nyriss would be indebted to him for eliminating her rival. And the Emperor would reward him for executing a traitor. It was unlikely he would be chosen to replace Cedric's on the Dark Council. Scourge was still too young, too unknown. He hadn't forged the necessary political alliances or built up a cadre of servants and followers. Yet this would be a bold first step. It would make his name known in the Halls of Power. And when another vacancy opened up on the council down the road, in five years or maybe ten, he would be the leading candidate. Tell Sitchell to set up the meeting, he said. Naira smiled again, but this time Scourge didn't feel it so unnerving. Instead,
0: he found himself wondering if it would be her he replaced when he finally ascended to his rightful position. So Scourge radios Murtaugh and Sitchel to tell them it's all clear and they should come in. But Murtaugh tells Scourge that him and Sitchel are already inside. They're in some offices in the back of the building. Scourge is furious as he heads towards the offices. He gave them a direct order not to come until he gave the all clear. Central and Murtaugh are dumb as hell to keep going against what Scourge says. One of these days he's gonna jack one of them up. He walks into the office they are in and asks why they disobeyed his orders. They told him that they were trying to get the information before the separatists erased it. You know they gotta find something. And they find a recording of Darsidrix. Then Scourge tells them to gather up all the computers that way they can find any information and wasn't nothing left behind. When they get back, Nyriss summons the three of them. She asks them is it true, was Zedrix a traitor to the Empire? When they confirm their findings and after a moment of arguing on what they should do, Nyriss tells Scourge that she should assassinate the Dark Counselor. Scourge is like, uh, wait a minute, hold up. I stand no chance against a member of the Dark Council." Nyriss tells Setchum and Murtaugh to leave the room. Then she explains to Scourge that Zedrix is old and he's human. Humans are a lesser species than the Sith. And the dark side has ravaged his body, leaving him weak. I'm with Scourge on this one. He has been on the Dark Council longer than anyone else. You you don't do that by being weak. But at the same time, Scourge wants to test himself against a member of the Dark Council. He starts to think of all that he will gain if he wins. I think this is why the Sith always fail. They're too greedy. So between his greed and Nyrus pumping him up, Scourge tells Nyrus to set it all up. And that's it for Chapter 8. To find out what happens next, you'll have to tune in to Chapter 9. I hope to see you then. And remember, keep your eyes on the sky. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway so was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel, sound design by Theodore Thompson, research by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.